Welcome to Horsepower to Hyperloops, Kettering University's official podcast, where we serve up a smorgasbord of fascinating people, groundbreaking ideas, and noteworthy advancements in fields as diverse as mobility, healthcare, engineering, and technology. Hi, this is Tim Troop Noonan with another brief vignette from GMI and Kettering's history. A visitor arriving at the GMI campus in the early 1960s might have driven down Chevrolet Avenue, passed the rambling Chevrolet plant number two, crossed the Flint River, and driven up a gentle hill before reaching Third Avenue, today known as University Avenue. On the left-hand corner was a small strip of mostly one-story commercial buildings anchored by BJ's, a popular watering hole which had once been a bank and still looked the part. Across Third Avenue stood GMI with its iconic shaved corner and palladium window. Since its construction in 1926, the building has spawned multiple extensions and parking lots, both north on Chevrolet Avenue and west down 3rd Avenue. Of this one-building physical plant, GMI President Dr. Dusty Rhodes felt that the laboratory facilities were on a par with other top engineering colleges, but despite all the additions, he felt all the other facilities, or lack thereof, rendered GMI much less competitive with peer institutions. GMI, he said, is at a great disadvantage in attracting and retaining outstanding students and faculty members because our non-academic facilities compare so unfavorably with other engineering colleges. The solution, he felt, lay in BJ's and the rest of the commercial area on the corner across the street and the expansive 35-acre Hasselbring farm that sat behind it and behind GMI on both sides of 3rd Avenue and which stretched west all the way to the lazily meandering Flint River. GMI was already leasing the part of the farm behind the building for some well-worn softball fields. Fortunately, Margaret Hasselbring, a former Flint florist and the farm's owner, had incorporated in her will a bequest that upon her demise, the property be offered for sale to General Motors for the use of the Institute. When she passed away at age 81 in January of 1962 and the property transferred to GM, Rhodes wrote a letter to the GMI community. Now and then, but not oftener, he wrote, than the appearance of a blue moon in the sky, does a college president have a chance to develop a new campus site. Very few educational institutions have adequate campus sites in this country or anywhere else for that matter. Often the beginnings are laid in the middle of a small town, which later may become industrialized with the result that the college is crowded into narrow quarters and cannot expand its campus except at high cost for the additional real estate. He went on to say the usual procedure when the situation becomes desperate is to buy new acreage at some distance from the birthplace of the college. Now, of course, GMI did not have to find someplace five miles away on the outskirts of Flint, but could expand its facilities on contiguous property. And there was, in fact, a more urgent agenda than simply competing with the facilities at other engineering schools. In the mid-1960s, GMI had begun to accept African-American students. But until the open housing ordinance was passed in Flint in 1968, finding housing was often very difficult for these students. Reports of vacancy signs being turned around as prospective minority renters approached the front door of possible homes to live in 
were not unusual. That's not to say, however, that there was not a crying need for student housing across the board. As President Rhodes pointed out in 1963, quote, GMI is probably the only engineering college in the United States which provides no residence halls for any of its students. Once the deed was transferred in 1964, planning began. At one point, GM even asked students for any special requests they might have for the new campus area, and they asked for a pool. Yeah, no, said GM, you're getting a bell tower. Which, of course, forever after, students have referred to tongue-in-cheek as the pool. In the end, the primary campus additions were Thompson Dorm, 650-car parking deck, and the campus center. The land that was to become playing fields down 3rd Avenue was designed to tie into surrounding landscaped boulevards, the Mott Park Golf Course, and the Glenwood Cemetery across the street. Construction began in 1966, and while classes proceeded without interruption, there were disruptions. At one point, a host of students even found themselves living in the Durant Hotel downtown. By 1968, construction was complete, and GMI had labs, dormitories, parking, and student life facilities to rival other engineering universities. The Campus Center has been the non-academic hub of the campus for over half a century, a role it will soon share with the Learning Commons. But there's one curiosity with the whole project, which may be unique to colleges across the country, and that has been the occasional very confused new student in a swimsuit and holding a towel standing around in the shadow of the bell tower looking for the pool. This is Tim Troop Noonan. Be well. Join us again to hear Kettering University's podcast, Horsepower to Hyperloops, available from wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening.